you know, figure out what your strength is. If you're a great artist, but not a great writer, find a writer. If you're a great writer, but not a great artist, find an artist or artist to work with. For many of us as a kid, thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds, flying through the universe at the speed of light, watching immortal enemies battling to the death. And some of us never grew out of it. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics. From the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork, to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, Episode 3. Welcome back to the Under the Mask Podcast. Today we're going to take a trip to a land of epic fantasy and adventure. We'll hear the story of a paladin coming to terms with hunting down his old ally. My guest today is the writer of several novels, Wrath of the Fallen, Crisis of the Forsaken, and Tears of the Godless. His latest project is a graphic novel, Tarnished which just successfully funded on Kickstarter. You can check out all of his work at darktidingspress.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Jerome. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, happy to be here. It gives me something to do right now, and it's good to talk to other creatives while we're all locked up at home. Yeah, no, I absolutely, man. I'm getting stir crazy. Um, I just went down to uh, the corner store that we have about a half block away just to get out of the house and go do something resembling normal interactions. Yeah, my uh, family and I, every couple of days, just kind of drive around. I've basically been alternating writing and building a fence in my backyard that I put off for about three years. And now I have nothing but time. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. That's why I started doing this. Uh, well, Chris, we met at UConn. Uh, 2017, I think. But uh, just to get uh, everybody acquainted with you, tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are now. All right. Well, um, what actually happened is I ever since I was a kid, I really wanted to be a writer and I made comics a lot as a kid. And I, I did the art back then, which I laugh at thinking about now. And I was always trying to write novels. And when I got into college, I had an opportunity for a summer class, actually, where we had to write a novel in three weeks. And if you didn't write and complete the novel, then you failed it was just a pass fail thing. And I was like, you know, I've, I've got this book idea I've had for a long time. This is my shot. And so I, I took that class and wrote the first draft of Wrath of the Fallen, which is my first novel. And that was five years ago. And since then, I've just been iterating and trying to optimize every, everything that I do. I moved on from that novel. I've released the sequel recently. I'm working on the third one. And in the process, I, I jumped online. I graduated 
graduated from Oregon State University and we have this Facebook group where you can reach out to other people that have graduated and, you know, advertise jobs and things like that. And since I started my own indie publishing company, Dark Tidings Press, I put like a little job ad on there looking for an artist for some concept art. I just want some illustrations to go with the novels. And um, a guy that lives in Corvallis, about 15 minutes away from where I live in Albany, his name's Patrick Bermeyer. He hit me up. He was from the program, of course. And he said, you know, I'm an artist and I specialize in comics, but I'd love to do some concept art for you. And so over a beer, you know, we were like, hey, here's some of the character monster designs that I want some artwork for. I'd love to do a graphic novel at some point set in my universe. And that was like the seed that got planted that turned into Tarnished that uh, we just kickstarted a couple months back. After I think he turned in like three or four different concept pieces, I just decided to jump in. So I, I wrote Tarnished and kind of paid by the page until we got two thirds of the way done. And then we put it out on Kickstarter and that will make Tarnished like the seventh title in my series. If you count novellas, short stories, novels, all of that. It's a little bit different uh, when you actually know the artist versus when like my artist, I found him online and we never actually met in person. Yeah, because Patrick and I, um, every so often, whether we were working on Tarnished or we've got a horror comic we're doing together called Discordia, every so often just to just to chat sketch some stuff out ballpark ideas we meet up we have lunch we have a beer and we we kind of talk about what we want to do next even if we're not actively in a project i mean we're friends just outside of this we play DD together now um but all of this started because of working on tarnished which is cool because now i've made an actual friend through it and that allows us to be creative together in a way that i think is really beneficial for, at least for my process and uh, and it's very nice to be able to hash out stuff and just talk person to person and say hey here's what's going on yeah Absolutely. And now we're comfortable enough with each other that, you know, I I give him the flexibility that when he is doing a page that he can kind of take it a little bit different direction. Um, He'll bounce stuff off of me. So we we did Tarnished a little differently than we do our other stuff. So with Tarnished, because it's in my pre-existing world, the scripts I gave him were very like, this is what I want in each panel. Here's the number of panels. And I, I still give him the flexibility to stray from that if visually he can come up with something better. But when we do Discordia, uh, the scripts I give him are way looser. It's basically just set direction and dialogue because I want that horror comic to be very much a collaborative process where he is a co-creator on that one with me. Whereas Tarnished, because it's already my world, I'm a little bit more territorial about it. But with Discordia, we're making the world together. So I'm a lot looser with my scripting on that. And that works out great because we now know each other and he kind of knows what to expect from my writing, what I'm looking for. And I know kind of what he's going to do art wise. So I definitely appreciate having somebody I can meet face to face. Well, go ahead and uh, tell us about Tarnished, a tale of gods and men. So Tarnished, like I said, when we met up and I I was like, I would love to do a graphic novel set in my world, Uh, my world, the the gods and men cycle that so far all of my writing takes place in is a epic fantasy world where you've got gods of light, gods of darkness, and, and the people have basically been delineated into two factions. You either worship the light or the darkness. And if you worship the darkness, you become a demon or an accursed. You're like a they're like these zombie soldiers because you've, you've fallen away from the light. Your body becomes corrupted. And the paladins are the people that have been powered up by the gods to fight them. And when we were trying to come up with ideas uh, for a graphic novel, I thought what I really wanted to do was play around in this world, do a story that would be obviously visually exciting because comics are a visual medium. But what I didn't want to do was tie it so thoroughly to my pre-existing series that comic only readers would like feel penalized. I wanted Tarnish to be something you could jump into without having read any of the novels and get an idea of what's going on and enjoy the story. So 
for people that have read the novels, Tarnished is going to have some cool little Easter eggs and flesh out some stuff. But for people just jumping into the comic, you can totally read it on its own and never have to read the other stuff. So Tarnished itself follows a paladin named Broderick who is just kind of been out in the wilderness killing demons and he's just kind of been on his own. And he gets called back to Ilix, which is the capital city of the world at this time. And he's told that there's a rogue paladin burning villages down and just killing innocent people. This paladin's just gone mad. But the twist for Broderick is that this paladin is his ex-girlfriend who he thought was dead. Um, So he gets tasked with tracking down the woman that he loves because she's lost her mind. And that's kind of the genesis of that story. And by the end, the story does wrap up, but um, it is going to be the first part in a trilogy of graphic novels set in the Gods and Men cycle that'll play with a similar cast of characters. I hadn't done my research properly. That I mean, obviously, I backed your Kickstarter and we've talked at a couple different conventions, uh, but I forgot or didn't even know that you did those three novels ahead of the time or you did the two and then you're working on the third, right? Yes. Yeah. Two are released. The third I'm about halfway done with. And then I've got two novellas, a couple novelettes, short stories and um, a web serial that's free on um, Wattpad. So all told, there's like roughly 300,000 words written in prose that you can purchase and read right now online. So there's there's quite a bit to the world. I came up with it actually when I first started going to college. I was a dishwasher at a Sherry's and I had the graveyard shift. Super boring. Really no one to talk to. You're just back there by yourself with the dish machine. And so to like pass the time, I came up with this whole world in my head and this history. I've got, you know, probably the rest of my life planned out writing wise in terms of the amount of stories that I think I could tell in this world. And having all of that background already made jumping into Tarnished maybe a little bit easier than if I was trying to craft a whole new world for the comic because I already had that and had done much of the legwork already. So in Tarnished, uh, the first eight to ten pages are just setting up the universe. Mm -hmm. But uh, as I was getting towards reading the end of it, um, I started thinking, hey, well, there's characters that were introduced in the almost prologue. Characters introduced that really nothing came of them. I was like, man, it'd be cool that there's so many stories that you could tell in that universe. Absolutely. So the in that that prologue, I set that up specifically so that people jumping into the comic would kind of have their grounding and and know where the story was. And I played around with that for a little while to figure out an organic way to do that. And I think I kind of pulled it off with having it be the grandma and the and her granddaughter, like kind of telling stories and talking about the world. But absolutely, one of my novellas, The Nightbreaker, specifically is several panels of that prologue is just retelling that story. Wrath of the Fallen, the first novel, deals with the fallout a lot of of a lot of the stuff that happens in that prologue. So you get just a taste of what the world is with Tarnished. And if you want to go delve into it deeper, then you've got all the writing I've done and and we'll have more comics, too, of course. Exactly. And I wanted to say it was nice that it was self-contained. So I didn't have to know anything about the other novels. I just was able to read the whole thing and say, hey, I, I like this. Now let's search for some more. Yeah. And really, I wanted to do that because I followed some other transmedia franchise like, you know, like Dragon Age, for example, the video game series that I um, was pretty big into in high school and, and a little bit in college as well. And they had novels and comics and all kinds of stuff. But one of the downfalls of series that branch out into different mediums, I think,
think it penalize you if you don't consume everything. I think we're seeing that a lot right now with the newest Star Wars film where so much stuff goes unexplained in the movie and they're like, well, read the book and you'll you'll find out how this happened or how that happened. And that turns a lot of people off. You know, obviously as a creator, you're hoping that your fans are going to read everything you do, but you can't make that assumption. So you want the stuff to be accessible because there's going to be people that read Tarnish that only are into comics and that's totally fine. And I didn't want those people to be like, well, I'm not going to read this comic because I have to read these books because I don't read stuff that's not comics and vice versa. I don't want people that read the books that aren't into comics to say, well, I'm missing a chunk of the story, but I don't really like comic books. So that's why I want I want them to be self-contained enough that you can jump into either side and not feel penalized, but still have enough crossover that they don't feel pointless either. Because sometimes you see series go the other way too hard where they'll do a comic or they'll do a tie in book and it just feels like such a side story that you can just skip it all together and it doesn't matter. And so I'm trying to strike a balance between that where you can enjoy it on its own. But if you take it as part of the whole, you get a better experience all, all around. Very cool. Yeah, that's one thing I think uh, Marvel did well with their movies. You can skip Marvel movies and, you know, only watch the Avengers and you'll, you'll know what's happening. But you don't have to watch everything to know what's happening. Yeah. And they're and they're trying to take that to the next step, even with their shows on Disney Plus coming soon. So I don't know. I just think that that's probably the best the best way to have a giant expansive world, because with this, it's not just a series like book one through ten. A lot of these stories are side stories or I go down different paths that you don't necessarily have to follow. And so I try to make sure that there's lots of points where you can jump in. I mean, I've I've got a reading order on my website specifically so that when people see this giant list and backlog of titles, they're not intimidated because you don't have to read all of them to know what's going on. It's not like the Wheel of Time or something. Uh, so all these books, they're published through Dark Tidings Press and Dark Tidings Press is a, a self press that you set up. Yes. So when I first finished Wrath of the Fallen, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to shop it around to a big publisher, do the query letters and get an agent and, and all that stuff, or if I wanted to self publish. And I decided because I really like the business and that side of the uh, creative aspect of it, I decided to go that route and make my own publishing company. And so I, I tried to make it look professional, give it a professional website. I paid for a logo. Um, you know, I want it to look like if a Dark Tidings Press book is on your shelf, you can't tell that it's basically a one man operation as opposed to something that you went down and bought at Barnes and Noble. But I still had a little bit of pushback from local bookstores and stuff that were like, well, let us know when you get picked up by a real publisher, just because I made the mistake of telling them, hey, I did this myself through some contacts at school and then people I've met online. Now I've got a couple other authors in the fold. So I'm publishing other people as well. So I'm trying to grow Dark Tidings Press from just being just me to actually being a small indie press that publishes four or five different people. We've got a couple other novels from some other novelists. And then we've got another comic series that we're in the early, early stages. The guy that I'm hooked up with, that he also lives in Corvallis, saw me in the local paper talking about Dark Tidings Press and sent me an email and said, hey, I've got this great comic idea. So we've been workshopping that together. And he's got probably four or 500 pages of this like horror comic superhero thing that's really cool. We're um, just trying to find an artist that matches his style and then we're going to move forward with that. So my dream eventually is for Dark Tidings Press to grow to the point where it's basically got two solid wings, one that's like novels and one that's all comics and with several creatives in both sides. So what's it like running your own pub publishing company? Stressful. <laughs> um, since it's not my full-time job yet, it, uh, it's, it's definitely a time sink. It's one of those things where I 
have to balance the creative side for me and writing my own stuff. And then the administrative side of the company, because I've got to manage the website. I've got to manage cover artists and my different authors. I've got to read everything that gets submitted to me. Um, I do some light edits. I still hire an editor, but I still go through first and say, hey, we should change this and this. I've got to, of course, send out royalty payments to everybody and claim them all on my taxes. So once I decided to go from just being me to picking up these other people and turning it into a real publishing company, my workload quadrupled easily. Uh, so that's that's like the positive and the negative there because it I, I like doing it this way and, and I wouldn't go back to it just being me, but it definitely um, is a time sink that drags a little bit on my time to be creative because I do have a more than full-time day job. <laughs> and I've got to say, I have mad respect for you there. You're listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Something lately, especially after I showed up in the local paper, I was actually the cover story for starting this company and running it out of Albany where I live. I've had so many people send me submissions. I've had to turn my submissions off and I've just been buried. I haven't been able to get through all of them. So unfortunately, I've had to just tell some people like, hey, I'm sorry, but you're like at the bottom of the pile. It's going to be months before I even potentially can get back to you because there's just so much of a flood too. So uh, another thing thing that I try to do is meet with people, talk to them, maybe kind of do like a mentoring thing, or I at least hook them up with some resources so they can self-publish professionally still. Because at the end of the day, with the tools that are available now, there's absolutely no reason that you can't do it yourself if you have the drive to do so. What I tell people, we have strength in numbers, you know, where you're part of a, a small publishing company now. You can tell people, hey, my book got published by the small publisher. So you have a little bit of that where you don't have to say that you're self-published because technically for them, they're not. But at the end of the day, it's nice to just kind of be part of this group and connect with these other creatives and then all publish together. My goal at some point, at least for the ones that live local to me, is that we would go to the local cons together as a group and get one table. Cons have to be back on for that to happen, of course. <laughs> so we'll see. I was hoping uh, next time UConn comes around is probably the next time I want to get a booth. I did Wizard World a couple years ago, and that was really, really cool. But um, just the financial side of it, the costs of the booth, and everything else, I think I really want to start small again and, and bring some of the other people that are now part of Dark Tidings Press and then we'll kind of grow from there on the convention circuit. Yeah, you don't have to tell that to me, man. Every time I do a show, I'm always thinking, okay, there's the booth cost and then how much is the hotel going to be? How much is the uh, travel cost going to be? Oh, yeah, because with Wizard World, I knew I wasn't going to make a profit. It was just a marketing thing and I knew it was going to be fun. Um, but we made the mistake of staying at the hotel right across the street from the Oregon convention center, which costs more than the booth. I just didn't want Portland traffic, but it was kind of cool. We got to see some people. Uh, Jason Momoa was staying at that hotel. Sebastian Stan was having coffee when we were having coffee. My wife and I, uh, Billy Boyd from Lord of the Rings nodded at me as I was walking into the lobby. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to see some of the celebrities in the hotel, but uh, definitely an added expense I won't do next time just so I can actually try to make sure that the convention <laughs> has a net positive to the, the bottom line instead of just being a money sink. But yeah, that's always cool when you see the uh, stars there and they give you the nod. Uh, so you're saying that uh, when you first did that wizard show, it ended up you, it was a great marketing experience, but not financially successful for you. Uh, it was more for just getting out there. And uh, and you said one of your mistakes was you were staying at the hotel uh, that was, you know, just, the, you know, the, the hoity toity yeah. hotel. Uh, let me ask you, yeah. doing, doing this, uh, what other what mistakes do you see people kind of in your situation on the come up? Do, do you see them making? Oh, that's a good one. Um, well. 
there's mistakes where you spend too much money on certain things and mistakes where you don't spend enough. For one thing, and this is something that you and I have talked about before at the conventions, is you really want, especially when you're doing it at an indie level, you want your stuff to look professional. So you want to pay for an editor. If you're not an artist and you need to be honest with yourself about that, you need to hire an artist, whether that's for comics or if that's for your book covers, like for my novels and stuff. I see a lot of people, you know, hey, I slapped all this together myself. And that's great for like keeping the cost down. But if the quality isn't there, you know, figure out what your strength is. If you're a great artist, but not a great writer, find a writer. If you're a great writer, but not a great artist, find an artist or artists to work with. And that's that's probably the most common thing I see is people trying to do everything themselves instead of reaching out to other people with that skill set. Just because you're doing it at an indie level doesn't mean you need to do 100% of it yourself. It just means that you're going to need to network more because you don't have a big company contracting out to all these people. The other thing is sometimes I think people sink too much money into the wrong things. Sometimes, for example, like with a book series, you don't want to pump all your money into advertising. I don't think early on, like right out of the gate with your first book, you want to make sure that you've got a couple so that people will buy that first book, read it, like it, and then buy the next one. You don't want to just spend all your budget on marketing when you only have that one book. They buy it for four 99 or 99 cents or whatever you have it priced at online. And then that's the end of your return on investment for that. You know, another big mistake that I see people make that I still make and I'm horrible at is managing your newsletter properly. I, I don't put a lot of work into my newsletter and that is a huge, huge flaw in my program that I need to adjust probably while I'm stuck at home for this quarantine. Like you have a really good newsletter that I actually read when it comes out and I, I get lots of great newsletters from other indies that I follow and I got to just kind of get off my ass and handle that for myself. <laughs> uh, you know, I appreciate that, man. It's funny. I send out the newsletter right around the first of the month, every month. It's not something that I always did. I used to be very sporadic with my newsletter. And the thing is, you just have to be consistent with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I right now I'm at the sporadic level. Same with like, I'll update my website in terms of putting up new releases and things like that. But my like blog slash news section on my website, I'm pretty sporadic on. The only thing that I'm fairly consistent with is our Facebook presence. So if you go to Facebook and follow Dark Tidings Press. I post there fairly regularly. I'm actually working with trying to recruit somebody either through the college, through the program that I went to, or maybe one of the social media people at my day job to kind of have somebody that I can kick money to on the side to run some of these things for me because it's just one of those spinning plates that I sometimes let fall far, far too often. So that's, that's definitely a big downside. Really, like if you can get people to join your newsletter at conventions, that's a great way to get it. Have a sign up sheet as long as you can actually consistently enter their emails. But I mean, I think having a having a strong newsletter from what I've seen through other people is a great way to actually turn into sales and keep and maintain fans. And that's that's somewhere where I'm dropping the ball and I got to I got to fix that. Yeah, well, it's always something to work on. It's one thing, too. You have plenty of time to do it right now. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so let's go back really quick to uh, we we're talking about uh, spending money on marketing. You think that's a mistake that people make hey, when you're spending money on marketing when maybe you have just that first issue done, you have just that first book done. Uh, and I just wanted to say I really that really str- struck a nerve with me uh, because I consider like conventions marketing as well. And man, I remember those first couple conventions that I did, uh, even up until I think when I started to have issues for issue five back, that's when it started looking it did nothing change except for that i had one more book out uh but in a customer's mind it does because it's like hey 
this guy's not going anywhere. He has an actual series. And that's when I started noticing that I could bundle everything up and I was actually starting to not lose money consistently and then actually start to make a profit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason that the first show that I did wasn't as financially successful for me because at that time I had Wrath of the Fallen out. I had um, Abandoned's Balance, which is a novelette. So it's about three chapters long and uh, The Nightbreaker, which is a six chapter novella. And they both have a physical little hardcover release that's like this little tiny little hardcover book. It's just something kind of fun to put on the shelf. But, you know, those are primarily a digital product because of their size. So I didn't have a ton of inventory there. We had at that point done the first, I want to say 14 pages of Tarnish. So we had a little print run of that there, which was fairly popular, but I didn't have enough content. And it was like you're saying, you know, people want to make, see that you can finish a story or finish a story arc and make sure that if they get invested, not just financially, but emotionally into your characters and your story, that it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. It's like if you want to go on Netflix and binge a TV show that, you know, got canceled before the end, you're a lot less likely to watch it because you're not going to get an ending. And so I feel like a lot of fans are that way where they at least want to see that you're going to be around for the long haul before they jump into your series. So now I've got enough titles out there. Um, I've got enough people that I know locally that are fans that are like always asking for the next thing, but they're, they're, they're invested into the world now and there's enough titles for them to follow through that uh, I feel like going to a convention now and having an actual full display would do wonders um, compared to what I had before, especially now that I've got a physical version of Tarnished complete as a graphic novel. Because like what really struck me about your booth, you had them all out on display and it was like, oh, wow, here's an actual series. Look at all the work he's put into it. This has got to be good. And then I bought the first couple. And then now that I've read the trade paperback and I I love that whole story arc and I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next. And I'm going to continue to follow that. It can be discouraging if you go through the trouble of getting a booth, like you're saying, and only having one issue out or only having one book and you don't do very well. And then you think, oh, well, that's because it sucks or people don't like it. That may not be the case. You just don't have enough of it yet. Yeah. And now I'm getting to the point where uh, I'm going back to conventions that I've been to before. And um, I'm not inundated with people who come up and say this all the time, but I do get the occasional person who says, man, I don't even know what kinetic is about, but I see see you at these shows and I want to support you just because they just because they see me and it just makes me say wow yeah and I think um, because I assume that a lot of convention goers have the mindset that I do and that's kind of the mindset that I have where I started to see regular people at the couple conventions I'd go to and then I strike a conversation with them and every time I buy something and then now when I go to conventions I look for them when I uh, when I was at Rose City last time I made a point to go around and look for you deeply dap that does like soap and pins and stuff. There's another comic series. They're not quite indie. Uh, they just launched a Kickstarter for a comic called Starlight that's live right now. But uh, his name's Greg Smith. And I ran into him at UConn also the same year I met you. Yeah, Gre- and, uh, Greg also does uh, Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. And that's one of those things now where now we connect online. I'm back in their new Kickstarter. Um, I'm always asking him, hey, are you going to be at this local con? Because if so, I'm going to come and buy some merch from you just because we struck up conversation. He signed some books. You know, I figured he's close enough to my level that, you know, I, I like his stuff. I just read Junior Braves a couple days ago, actually, while I was sitting at home. <laughs> and now I've got the next uh, the next volume on order because it's I think it's really cool. So when you've got the you've got enough of the content and people like you and you can talk to people and talk about your story 
they're going to come back to you, then they're going to for you next time. So that's, I think that's a big deal as far as um, the fan side of the convention, but also as far as the other like exhibitors and creative part of the convention, because you start to network with other people at the cons. You're like, okay, you had a booth, a couple booths down for me last time. And then you start to know those people and then you support each other too, because we're kind of all in this together when we're in the indie community. And I think we, we band together really well when it's like, Hey, I backed your Kickstarter. Now I've got one that kind of reciprocity that's in the indie community. I really love. And I think you'll get that more when you can do the conventions. That's uh, one thing, a uh, little joke that we have in the conventions. It feels like the, uh, there's one $20 bill that just passes amongst all the artists. Because I noticed that with the Tarnished Kickstarter that uh, a couple people that I had met helped back it. And I had maybe previously backed some of their stuff or bought stuff from them. And then later on, they had a Kickstarter like yours for the trade paperback. And I, you know, I, I always make sure anybody that I know that backed uh, Tarnished when they launched a Kickstarter, I always make make a point to back it because I just I think that, you know, we're all in it together. So I <laughs> something really cool. Um, one of the many reasons why I think I prefer being an indie of this size rather than looking for a big company. You know, it's not like you know, as cool as it would be. I don't want my comics to be picked up by Marvel or Dark Horse or something like that. I'm just like, but but why? I mean, yeah, they could give me a way more exposure, but are they going to actually give me anything on the creative side of it that I can't get myself? And I'm probably going to lose some things in my opinion, because I like the process of actually going to the conventions and running my own site and coming up with, with my own. I, I like the size that we are. When you were starting out as a creator, what was the best advice that you got? The best advice I got, you know, um, actually, there was a book I read uh, about self-publishing that was pretty good. And uh, the nugget that I pulled out of there that I reiterate to people whenever I'm talking to them, it was something to the effect of perfection is the enemy to completion. There's something something to that effect. If when you're creating something, if you're striving for it to be perfect, you'll never get it done. You'll never release it. You're always going to have to make compromises with your art. You're always going to have to understand that there's something you could go back and tweak and make better. And if you just sit there and tinker with your idea or keep rewriting that script or that novel over and over and over, you'll never release it for other people to see and you'll never move on to your next story. So that's something that I really took to heart where I'll give something a couple passes to make sure that it's good and that people are going to enjoy reading it and, you know, make sure all the typos are gone. The story makes sense, but I don't want to sit and keep writing the same novel four or five times over a 10 year span because then nobody else is going to read that book and I'll never move on to the next one. So that's to me, one of the best pieces of advice I can give to people is don't strive for perfection. Just get it as good as you can and then move on to that next thing because you learn from a completed comic or a completed novel, but you don't learn anywhere near as much from something that's only half done. You know, and that's one thing that I will tell a lot of aspiring creators too. Um, whenever I have so many people who come up and ask me for advice. And one thing I almost always say, I say, Hey, if you have something finished, you're ahead of 95% of would be creators. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I don't necessarily like the like aspiring author moniker because I mean, if you write, then you're doing that. You don't have to be the aspiring word. You can just drop that. But I think that that mindset makes a good point that, like you said, if you, if you finish something like, and I even tell people when they're beating themselves up, they're like, my book isn't that good. I'm like, yeah, but you still wrote a book, which most people didn't do. So that's still something to be proud of. And then the next one can be that much better. 
Hey, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you can find Chris's work at darktidingspress.com. Uh, Chris, where else can we find you on the net? If you uh, go on to Amazon, search for Christopher Jerome, you'll be able to find all of my published work to date. And like I said earlier, currently the best way to keep in touch with me is with Facebook. If you look up Dark Tidings Press on Facebook and like our page, um, I'm pretty consistent with my updates there. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was been great, Bill. Yeah, been good catching up with you. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Cologne. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.